together I'm right. Hey everyone, and welcome to the old fashioned breakdown with me, Fola Olokumbi. No Helen today, because today's show is different. Today we're going to talk about The Sopranos, and Helen hasn't seen it. Regular listeners might know that I kind of like The Sopranos, I tend to mention it every episode. True story, this podcast, um, The Old Fashioned Breakdown, was inspired by a Sopranos podcast. It's called In at the End, and it's hosted by a young couple, a teacher, and a musician. Well, the young couple is the teacher and the musician. It's not four people, it's just two. Um, But I, I highly recommend it. In light of the new movie, The Many Saints of Newark, that I'm really excited for, I wanted to do a short podcast sharing my thoughts on the show's controversial ending. So spoilers if you haven't seen it. So, to recap, the show ends with a sudden cut to black and a complete silence. I won't describe the whole scene. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Obviously, it's on YouTube. And you can also Google Sopranos ending and check out all the cacophony of takes that you'll be hit with. When it first aired, to me, the ending was pretty clear about what happened. Tony was killed. And over time, viewers were able to piece together how, pretty accurately, I'd say. The guy in the members-only jacket whacked him. He must have done, right? But the discourse over this show continued with other questions raised. For instance, why didn't they show Tony's body? Some people suggested the showrunner, David Chase, just wanted to be controversial and a bit weird. Was Tony even dead? We didn't know. We didn't see him die. And then David Chase suggested it raised important philosophical questions, which just kept people guessing even more. Now, anyone who listens regularly to our podcast knows I personally am a perennial overthinker. I can't just let an awkward phrase or a weird scene just lie. I want to know what it means, or at least attach some kind of meaning to everything. So I won't lie, that final scene has lived rent-free in my head ever since I saw it. Why didn't they show the body? What on earth did Chase mean by philosophical implications? (laughs) So I went back. And I watched the whole series again, back to back with Mad Men. This time picking out a little more of the subtext and feeling gobsmacked at the depth of the show's writing, whatever that means. People use the word depth a lot when it comes to these shows. And what does that mean? Initially, I thought it was a dark, funny soap opera about mobsters. But now I was uncovering something. Well, I wasn't really sure what. The show didn't just subvert expectations. It gave you a sense of ambiguity that you only get in real life. Almost nothing in the show is 100% confirmed. Every choice, decision, 
an action seems to derive from implications and conjecture. It's as if the show is constantly gaslighting us, but never letting us know the true outcome of anything, including the ending. So you're left spilling your own meaning into everything that happens. Back then, I wrote a 10-page essay on The Sopranos finale. I'll leave a link in the show notes, but I don't recommend reading it. I think I highlighted some good points and note some cool stuff that happens in the episode, but I had no idea what I was talking about. I was really just clutching at straws. I was trying to find a conclusion. I wasn't really satisfied with my final point. It actually took a rewatch of the only other episode David Chase directed for me to fully take something away from the ending. And that's the pilot. The first pilot episode is weird in that so many important things take place in one episode. Obviously, it sets up the show and introduces the characters. But what it also does that often gets overlooked is it sets up the tone of the show. That sense of ambiguity I spoke of earlier was there from the get-go. And in setting it up, it creates the momentum for the entire series going forward. I'll try to explain what I mean by being a bit specific. The basic premise of the pilot is Tony seeing his therapist, Dr. Jennifer Melfi, for the first time. A large portion of the episode is this session interspersed with flashbacks as Tony recollects the course of the events leading up to his most recent panic attack. Over the course of the episode, Tony comes to the conclusion that the panic attacks are as a result of a family of ducks living in his pool that he's befriended finally leaving the pool. And this acts as a reminder that his family will one day also leave. This to me is where the show starts to play with the audience. The only reason we arrive at the conclusion of the ducks representing Tony's family is through Dr. Melfi's interpretation of what Tony has told her and he's missed out details. I don't think Melfi was completely incorrect in her diagnosis, but she wasn't completely accurate either. But I think the main point is she was able to give Tony some catharsis in the moment because in real life we never really know why things happen we just have to make a decision based on the information we're given just like Melfi and also the audiences in that final scene in that final episode but there's more if I don't think it's the ducks then why do I think Tony passes out well it all boils down to not just the scene where Tony passes out but the previous scene where he visits his mother. When Tony visits his mother, he's like a desperate little boy. He just wants her to be active and happy. He constantly tells her to go out, dance, move her body, 
use her body. To me, it's like he's seen her inactivity as the creeping in of death. He implores her to make it to AJ's party just to get out of the house, just to talk to people, just to feel something. But in the next scene, AJ informs us that she's not going to make it, which to him famously means no fucking ziti now. Presented with the news, Tony tells anyone who'll listen that that woman needs a purpose. And it clues us into what Livia's absence means to him. In the earlier scene, we saw how much he wanted Livia to be at the party and how he tried to please his mother, but she just doesn't care. And I think it's Tony subconsciously processing this fact that leads him to the panic attack that we see. Ultimately, it's his fear of his mother's inactivity which is really a fear of his mother's mortality, which is really a fear of his own mortality that creates the anxiety within him, which leads him to pass out. Throughout the first season, we see Tony come to terms with this fear, to the point at the end of the season, he's threatening to kill his own mother himself and is temporarily cured of his anxieties. And then what we see throughout the series is Tony trying to distract himself from the anxiety of death. So how is this all related to the end? Well, to me, this is the end. Oh, 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 let you dream. That final scene in Holston's is so beautifully set up. I don't have enough time to go through every shot and what it all means. Suffice to say that you can see it as just a busy restaurant or a scene that is full of the contents of Tony's mind. The symbols of Americana from the restaurant alone, Tony's youth represented by the huge mural on the wall and the innocence of the Boy Scouts representing his childhood, the young couple representing his adolescence with, with Carmela. It's all there. To me, that Holston's bar is Tony's psyche it's the way he sees the world. And part of the way he sees the world has danger lurking everywhere. We feel the tension of something about to happen in this scene, not least because of the guy in the members only jacket lurking around. But even with that tension, Tony seems detached. Carmela tells him about his daughter Meadow's birth control. I mean, except for fears she might be ill, he barely raises an eyebrow. Even after he tells Calm about the possible Rico case, he seems resigned to it happening. And that's it. That's his real death. The philosophical implications David Chase alluded to. He's become his mother, inactive and lacking purpose. Tony is dead because he doesn't care anymore. Anything that would have moved him in the past has been pushed down to the kind of anxiety you just live with. It's really a critique on how most of us live day to day. Sleepwalking through life with no real purpose, nothing. Swimming through a sea of advertising and information constantly thrown at us. Previous to the Holston scene is one where Uncle Junior is essentially a zombie in a prison of his own making. I used to think at least Tony didn't end up like him. But now I can't help 
but feel that's exactly what's happened to Tony. He's become become complacent and was killed by a man in a members only jacket or in a jail or spiritually. He dies because he thinks he has everything he needs and stops fighting. But, and this is crucial, at least he got everything he thought he needs. He got his family and he got to share this moment with them. He may have got there through questionable methods and this is just a moment in time, but by continuing to push forward, he created something that should live beyond him. But the main implication offered by the show is that you die when you stop. So don't stop. Anyway, this isn't a definitive reading of the show. I've been stuck on the main task of watching Mad Men constantly, so there's still questions about this finale that I haven't been able to answer. What's the deal with Meadow? How does the earlier 56 minutes of this episode play into this final scene? What about the songs that Tony flicks through on the jukebox? Seriously, check them out. Check, look, Google the lyrics. It's fascinating. Why does it look like communion when they eat the onion rings? Who knows? It could be nothing. It could be everything. It could be Chase trying to be arty and being a bit pretentious. Who knows? That's what ambiguity is. With ambiguity, you just don't know. I think I'll leave it there. If you have stumbled across this podcast because of this Sopranos episode, well, hello. It's not usually like this. I usually have Helen breaking my flat, monotonous voice and picking out all the holes in my theories and stuff. And vice versa, I do the same thing to her as well. And it's way more interesting. Sopranos is a clear influence on Mad Men. And I think this notion of our individual perception of events and ambiguity in Sopranos factors massively into how Mad Men tells its stories with meanings of events, words and people even changing with the context they're given constantly. If you've been intrigued by this episode and have an interest in Mad Men, we'd love it for you to join us. And to any regular listeners of that show, I know it's been a while since the last episode. The next episode is coming. And I realize it's not ideal that the shows aren't that frequent. The aim is to be way more frequent in season three. But let's see how that goes. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter on at breakdown underscore old or email us on oldfashioned.breakdown at gmail.com. And now, if you're under 35 and young and hip and cool, you can follow us on Instagram on at oldfashionedbreakdown, all one word. There's not much there at the moment, but there will be. Please remember, all the stuff I've said is really just what I think. 
and it could be complete bollocks. What really makes any of these shows any good is that they generate conversations. So let us know what you think. Tell me that I'm wrong, that I overthink everything. It'd be really good to hear from you. And with that all out of the way, it leaves me to say thanks for listening and to remind you that Mad Men is even better. Goodbye, everyone. The world can be a happy place of stars and cockle shells of summer things like garden swings of games and carousels